Michael. I'm joined by Alex, as always. How's it going? And we're here with a new episode of Falling Through Potholes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how to have a tendency to go off the rails. Although today, we're actually not going to be talking about a plot line. It's actually going to be more a nice lesson in video game history. But before we jump into that, Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. Really can't complain with how things are going. And I'm very excited about today's episode. And in order to jump in there and already get a proper feel for it, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Mm -hmm. What is the worst deal you've ever made? I don't know if I can think of a good one off the top of my head. Mm. Well, I'll give you a chance to think. And if you can come up with one, that's that's perfectly fine. If you can't, that's all right, too. But I am the master of bad deals. Uh, mm. To give you a couple of examples, I once walked six miles to a used car dealership while I did not have a car. I walked mm. in, told them I did not have a car. I had not surprisingly got a bad deal on a used car. Yeah. There was a time I traded an extra copy of Chrono Trigger for the Super Nintendo for a copy of Final Fantasy X-2 the strategy guide, and one other PlayStation game. That's not a good deal. But you know what the absolute worst deal I've made was? What's that? And it's not going to seem like it's that bad, but it, it is absolutely stupid. So back in about, oh, geez, how old was I? I think it was 1998, because this was when like the NHL was having their big 90s boom, the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. They sent out game-ready pucks like the same pucks they use on in games to, you know, kids around the United States. And I got one of those in the mail. Okay. Which is cool, you know, you're a yeah. kid out from El Paso to this desert, you've never seen a hockey puck before. It's like this is so rad. Yeah. So I took it with school to school with me and whatnot to show off to everybody. And, you know, one kid saw it, he's like, Hey, I'll trade that for you. Like, I'll trade you something. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Um oh uh, well, I really like playing the game Goldeneye and I'm having difficulty getting these some of these cheats. You unlock three cheats for me in that game, and I'll give you this hockey puck. Okay. That. Hmm. Oh, it gets better, though. It gets better because, you see, one of the cheats that I had him unlock for me was something I already had gotten. So I only got two cheats out of this. He still took the hockey puck. And so, yeah, that's, that's, mm, <laughs> that's not a very good deal. It's a very bad deal. And when my dad got home and was like, yeah, where's that hockey puck? And I told him about it. He just laughed because he's like, (laughs) yeah, you stupid kid. You stupid, (laughs) stupid kid. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, um, you know what? What's a place that has a lot of bad deals a lot of of the time? Is it video games? It's video games, specifically arcade games. Oh, yeah. And Alex, we're going to be talking about a very bad deal. And it's a deal that's... Well, whenever there's a bad deal, on the flip side, for the other party, there's a good deal with that, right? right? And we're going to be talking about maybe one of the more infamous deals in history. As we try to answer the question, who owns Miss Pac-Man? Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> Sounds like you might be familiar with the story a little I'm, bit. I'm very familiar with the story. Oh, and yes. I know the parties involved. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. It's a, it's a really, really good one. And the tentative title to this, Alex, I, I have to admit, I'm being a little deceitful because mm-hmm. the title of this episode likely is going to be Who Owns Miss Pac-Man? But we're going to mm-hmm. actually answer that question about 10 minutes in. Like a certain shady v- company that's involved in this, I'm going to just stretch the truth a little bit <laughs> because the real question we're going to be asking is who owns the royalty rights to Miss Pac-Man? Right. But before we jump in there, uh, Alex, have you ever played Miss Pac-Man? I have, yes. I kind of figured you did. I, there's, I don't think there's a whole lot of people who've like, ever like, touched a video game who's not at least seen Miss Pac-Man or played mm-hmm. it or what have you. Now, Miss Pac-Man is maybe one of the greatest uh, games of all time. Now, released in arcades in 1982, it served as the follow-up to Namco's 1980s hit Pac-Man, a game that is unquestionably the most successful arcade game of all time. Mm -hmm. Playing as the eponymous character of the game, the yellow pie or puck-shaped Pac-Man, you move around the maze gobbling up pellets while avoiding four colored ghosts, beating the level if you manage to get all the pellets without being caught by the ghost. 
Once again, Alex, hard to overstate just how ridiculously successful Pac-Man was and still mm -hmm. is. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of up there with games like Tetris that are like games that people who don't play video games have played. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Now, to highlight just how ridiculously successful Pac-Man is, I'm going to reference this very dubious U.S. Gamer article that I found. And I'll get mm -hmm. into why it's dubious in a second. Uh, it mentions that Pac-Man is the highest grossing arcade game, uh, earning about $3.5 billion by 1990, which, when adjusted for inflation, would be around $7.6 billion today. Mm -hmm. uh, this article is a little questionable, though, because second place is Space Invaders, and the numbers mm -hmm. they use is that it earned $2.7 billion by 1982, uh, or $6.6 .6 billion when adjusted for inflation. The reason why this is dubious is because the numbers they use for Pac-Man are over a 10-year lifespan. <laughs> right. Where Space Invaders is four. Right, yeah, that's... Hmm. Yeah, and of course, none of these numbers are referenced or whatnot, but every article I looked up to kind of figure out like how much money did Pac-Man earn or Miss Pac-Man earned, they all went back to this US Gamer article. Mm. So that's what I'm using. Fair enough. So I did find a Smithsonian Magazine article that did place Pac-Man's total sales by 1990 at somewhere around $2.5 billion. Mm. So a little bit less, but it does seem a bit more reasonable. And, right. And regardless, it was a very successful and profitable game. It spawned a bad cartoon, uh, <laughs> a ton of merchandise, and a, yep. even the hit song Pac-Man Fever by uh, Buckner and Garcia that reached number nine <laughs> on the U.S. Billboard's charts in 1982. Fun fact, their uh, follow-up, Do the Donkey Kong, didn't chart. It only got to 97. Mm, mm, it's weird. That's weird. Yeah. I have listened to Do the Donkey Kong. It is not a good oh, song, God. turns out. Oof. That being said, by 1982, Pac-Man had started to feel rather old. Uh, the single maze that was present in the game and the programming of the ghost, while at the time revolutionary, meant it was possible to solve the game if you followed a single pattern every time. Alex, are, are you familiar with how the AI in Pac-Man works in the first place? Um, the I always forget sort of the very specifics, but I'm more or less familiar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the people at home, I'll just explain it really quickly. It, basically, you have four ghosts, right? Mm -hmm. One ghost will always follow Pac-Man. Uh, another ghost will always try to get ahead of Pac-Man. The third ghost will look at the distance between the first ghost and Pac-Man and then just double it and just try to cut off Pac-Man even further. And then the fourth ghost is drunk. Uh, yeah. It basically just goes to the lower left corner and hangs out. And then every once in a while, they go into scrabble mode, they go back to their respective corners, and they repeat the process. Uh, because of this, if you know what you're doing, you can follow a very specific pattern every time and beat the level. It uh, doesn't matter how fast the ghosts ultimately get. So because of that, fans started to get kind of bored of this game. And you know, Plus, it's just been on the market for two years at this point. Mm -hmm. Now, in North America, Namco did not distribute this game. Rather, they used a company that uh, we're very familiar with and one of my favorite video game companies of all time, <laughs> Bally Midway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Midway. Oh, good old Midway. Yeah, they were really wanting Namco to release their follow-up or at least kind of speed it up and get it to them because they wanted to take advantage mm -hmm. of the fact that the market for Pac-Man was white hot, right? Right. But unfortunately, they just weren't like getting it together. So by 1982, in order to just kind of get around this, they went ahead and released Miss Pac-Man, a game it's, that itself would see massive success. Uh, that U.S. Gamer article that I referenced apparently places, I think, at number four overall, mm -hmm. like above Street Fighter, um, just below Street Fighter 3, I believe. Or hmm. Street Fighter 2, my apologies. Right. However, there was a little problem with Miss Pac-Man. Yeah. They didn't develop the game, nor did Namco. Who did? Rather, another company called the General Computer Corporation, which is maybe the most generic name you could have <laughs> for a computer company. Yeah. So this is going to lead to a messy situation down the road, including lawsuits, shady deals, and general backstabbery. <laughs> that we're going to go ahead and jump in here right now and kind of start just breaking this down. And I think the best way to start with this is to talk about how arcade distribution worked in the 80s. And so we're going to use Nam uh, Namco as, a, as an example for this, okay? So, mm -hmm. you know, nowadays Namco, now called Bandai Namco, uh, they're big. They have the resources to distribute their games anywhere they see fit, right? Right. In the 80s, however, they were small. 
And while they had a North American office in Sunnyvale, California, they didn't really have the distribution network, the knowledgeable market researcher, anything they really needed to successfully sell a product in North America. So instead, what they did is what a lot of other Japanese companies, not named Nintendo, uh, <laughs> did, which is they got in contact with another company based in North America to do the distribution for them. In this case, uh, Namco developed a very successful relationship with Bally Midway. Now, one day we're going to talk about Midway. <laughs> yeah. This isn't the place, but in short, they were a successful pinball manufacturer turned arcade gaming company who had a string of not only big hits with licensed titles, such as Pac-Man, but original hits as well. So the deal was honestly very simple. Namco would develop the games and license them to companies like Midway to place in various arcades in North America. Midway would take a cut of the profits, Namco would get the rest, and it was a good system overall because it shared the right. risk of the game failing between both companies, ultimately cut down costs, and if it was successful, had the potential to make a lot of money for everyone. Right. However, this setup can be a problem for the distributor. Because once again, let's say you have a company, a game that is white hot like Pac-Man, like, you want to capitalize on it, but that ability is going to be limited. But you have the rights to distribute it. Mm -hmm. But you don't, have the, you don't necessarily have the rights to just develop games. Right. Sure, depending on the deal, you could make merchandise or have home versions of the game. But you can't, once again, you can't say just make a sequel. Right. Now, on top of all this, you have people out there who aren't held down by these deals who are more than happy to capitalize on this success, albeit in legally dubious ways. <laughs> Alex, are you familiar with arcade enhancement kits? Vaguely, yes. These are like early ROM hacks in many right. ways. Arcade enhancement kits were devices that would attach to the arcade machine, uh, usually to the main motherboard, and change or enhance the game into mm -hmm. something else. Now, these could either just modify the code of the game or replace it entirely with their own proprietary code. Uh, but either way, they, they would just use the internal hardware in order to run a game in their place. How these worked is that they would be sold directly to the arcade game owner, bypassing the manufacturer entirely. Like, you would just mm -hmm. go to whoever's owning these arcade machines and whatnot, whether they are leasing them or bottom outright, and be like, hey, why don't you use this, you know? This is a cheaper... <laughs> it's cheaper than just buying or leasing a new cabinet. And also, right. for a lot of arcade manufacturer or arcade like proprietors and whatnot, they basically were sold on the idea, well, if you use this, you're not technically like running the game that's actually in this cabinet. So if you lease this out, you don't have mm -hmm. to pay back a portion of those profits. You can just keep it yourself. <laughs> oh, the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a very Wild West sort of thing going on there. So, of course, they were cool with that. And they went, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Right. Let's just put someone else's game in this cabinet that we leased. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? And the answer is a lot of things. Yep, many things. And this is where we start talking about good old General Computer Corporation. Founded by Doug McAray, John Tycho, and Kevin Curran, these are MIT students who dropped out to try their hand at the gaming industry. Now, once again, it's questionable just how legal these are. And that might sound kind of odd, but there really mm -hmm. wasn't actually much of a legal precedent at the time for this. Right. If you actually just modify the code or if you replace it entirely, do you technically own that game, right? Or right. is the fact that you are technically slaving off another motherboard, does that mean you're illegally altering somebody else's code in a way that uh, can be actionable? Right. It's oddly similar. It's an odd parallel to the exact issue that Atari ran into mm -hmm. when people started making their own cartridges. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, something that Nintendo would run into in a similar way with Tengen down the line. Right. Where they would do the kind of the same thing when they bypass the lockout chip. It's like, well, is that something that's necessarily legal to do? Like, technically, it's against their licensing agreement, but is that legally binding at all? Right. So the next bit comes from an excellent Polygon article by Colin Campbell called How an Arcade Classic Broke All the Rules. Uh, and they talk about a little bit of GCC's early history. Uh, with these arcade enhancement kits. And one of the first they did was for Atari's 1980s hit, Missile Command. Now, how it goes is that they supposedly reverse-engineered the code entirely. Uh, hmm. And once they did that, they remixed it to make it more challenging, and they presented it to owners of the game as something new, called Super Missile Attack. 
Now, once again, they told him all they had to do is attach this board to the arcade machine to get something new. And once again, since it was cheaper than buying a new machine outright, many arcade owners went with it. Uh, right. It's estimated somewhere around 5% of all Missile Command machines in circulation at the time were modified. Hmm. And it made GCC a cool $250,000 1980s money. Now, once again, questionable if this is actually legal or not. Because if right. like, they reverse engineered the code, so that would be um, illegal if they just reuse code. Right. Like, that part isn't. But they're still, you know, presenting a game that looks very similar to Missile Command. Mm-hmm. And you know who wasn't cool with that? Was it Namco? It was Atari. Oh, oh, right. Missile Command, yeah. Yeah. Now, Atari immediately slapped GCC with a $15 million lawsuit. Uh, they alleged they violated their trademark, if not committed outright plagiarism. And um, it had a bit of a case. Like, a, like GCC offered, like, initially didn't, like, like present, like, different, like, marquees to put on the uh, arcade machines and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they actually came back to Atari and went, well, what if we just, like, provided new marquees and whatnot? Would you, like, be cool with that? Like, it, the art's now technically different. Like, no, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, no. Like, the in-game graphics are literally the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so GCC is like, all right, well, we're not particularly willing to fight this. But it turns out neither was Atari. And so they quickly settled the lawsuit for what was honestly pretty good terms for GCC. How about you cease production of these enhancement kits entirely? Doesn't matter who you're developing them for. Mm-hmm. And how about you just develop games for us instead? Oh, all yeah. right. And so they went, all right, yeah, cool, we'll do that. However, this still was a slight problem for them because they did work on another enhancement kit. And they wanted to do something with this because they were very excited about it. And this enhancement kit was one made for Pac-Man called Crazy Auto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you familiar with Crazy Auto at all? Sounds vaguely familiar, but I... I don't think I've seen it. Oh, Crazy Auto is so good. So Crazy Auto is basically what if we got Pac-Man and we put legs on him? So like the sprite and you yeah. instead of just being a puck, it's just like this really weird, clearly Pac-Man with like legs that just like move around all funky as it goes around the maze. That sounds terrible. Oh, it is a terrifying looking thing and I love it. I absolutely love it. Highly recommend looking that up. But um, it was a significant enhancement to Pac-Man in many ways. Uh, it was a direct response to the game's difficulty, and more importantly, by the, the fact that by 1982, people had solved the game and become, become like very bored with it. Right. A big reason for this, once again, was the Pac-Man Ghost AI, which already explained that, so I'll explain what exactly it did to change that. So the AI, for the most part, was left the same, except what this ghost would do halfway through like the maze and whatnot as they were following Pac-Man or I guess in this case crazy auto mm-hmm. they would sometimes just make a random left or right turn based upon hmm. player input right and because of that it would alter their patterns in such a way that it was much more difficult to predict on the fly ultimately it was still solvable and people have solved miss Pac-Man or crazy auto in this case uh-huh. but it was enough to throw people off on top of that there wasn't just one maze now. There are now four mazes that all had different uh, uh, different layouts. Right. And, like, even things like the fruit that appears now, like, moves around the uh, the board and everything. And it just was a more complete game than the original Pac-Man. Now, GCC was obviously very excited about this, but they were also very spooked by their earlier lawsuit with Atari. And they weren't keen on just trying to test that out by selling this enhancement kit, mm-hmm. even though technically it would have been uh, getting Namco's ire instead of Atari's. Right. So instead, they decided to try something else. They just brought the kit directly to Midway and asked if they wanted to sell it. And Midway <laughs> was 100% on board. Of course they were. Mm-hmm. Now, Midway, by this point, had started to get a little frustrated with Namco, Pac-Man's mm-hmm. creator. Despite the good relationship they had, Namco had been slow to develop the follow-up to Pac-Man, titled Super Pac-Man. And this seemed, once again, like a wasted opportunity for Midway. As they had a clear hit, and they felt a follow-up needed to come out immediately. So, a trend that Midway is going to get into. Yeah, like <laughs> literally immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so they saw this easy conversion of Pac-Man that could be slapped on existing hardware and were obviously very excited. So they got to work changing Crazy Auto back into a Pac-Man game. And 
confusingly decided to call it Super Pac-Man for a brief moment. Oh, that's a really bad idea. Turns out it was, and eventually they were like, somebody at Midway was like, maybe we should actually call this Miss Pac-Man. And then they're like, okay, we'll do that. And then like Miss Pac-Man itself ended up going through like five different name changes. <laughs> <laughs> because at first it was like, you know, Miss Pac-Man. Um, and then they're like, oh, but wait, there's cutscenes in there where Miss Pac-Man and Pac-Man meet and they have a baby and can't have a baby mm, out of wedlock. Murphy Bound no. hasn't happened yet. So then it became Mrs. Pac-Man. And then they went, well, that doesn't really roll off the tongue well. So it became Ms. Pac-Man. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very silly, but I love it. Yeah. So it seems like everything's on the straight and narrow. An outside developer is contracting another company to make a follow-up in their budding franchise and doing it the right way. Except there's a slight problem. Mm-hmm. Nobody told Napco about this. Oh, no. Oops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so thankfully, at some point, somebody at Midway finally decided to let Napco know what they were doing. And the response <laughs> was uh, actually surprising. Oh. Yeah, Napco was like, Rad, you should do this. <laughs> now, this is when all the changes happened with Super Pac-Man, eventually making it to Miss, Miss Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. Once again, because they were literally making a game called Super Pac-Man to come out the same year. So Yeah, I was going to say, it would have been amazing if someone at Namco had just one day looked up and seen, oh, Super Pac-Man's doing really well in the United States. <laughs> that's weird. We haven't released it yet. Yeah, it's not coming out until <laughs> December, and it's March. Huh. Hmm. Guess we got to call Midway and yell <laughs> at them. <laughs> Now, Alex, this seems like an ideal situation for Namco, given they didn't have to develop the game mm-hmm. or the characters, yep. and yet will receive, like, reap the financial benefits of just being associated with the Pac-Man license. Right. However, here's the problem with this. Midway had negotiated a separate royalty agreement with General Computer Corporation, and it wasn't good. It was a bad deal. Mm. So the deal was this. In exchange for the copyright and trademark rights to Ms. Pac-Man and the character, uh, Ms. Pac-Man being the game, arcade game and the character of Ms. Pac-Man. Okay. GCC would be paid a royalty fee in perpetuity. Okay. Um, do, mm, does GCC own the character rights to Ms. Pac-Man, a character clearly based on Namco's Pac-Man? So, no. The royalty fee is only going to apply to the arcade game Ms. Pac-Man. Okay. Yeah. The the character copyright and all that, that goes to Midway, and that'll eventually revert back to Namco once that licensing deal is up. Okay. Right at the moment, you know, this seems like, okay, well, this if Ms. Pac-Man doesn't do all that well, GCZ is not going to get a whole lot of money and won't really hurt Midway too much. Right. And at the time, this didn't seem so bad for Midway, because once again, they're not going to have the license forever. Mm-hmm. that's eventually all going to go back to Namco, and they're going to just have to be the ones to deal with it. Right. So what's the worst that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what happened is that by some accounts, Ms. Pac-Man, which was released once again in 1982, went on to be the most, the fourth most profitable arcade game in history. Yeah. Hmm. It is arguably the most played arcade game in history as well, given that that machine was everywhere in North America. Yep. Still, I recently went to Whidbey Island, um, an island that's uh, near where I live, and there was a Ms. Pac-Man arcade machine in this pizza place. <laughs> yeah. Like that's... When I was a kid in the California Bay Area, there was a Ms. Pac-Man machine and then Marie Callender's. <laughs> that is rad. <laughs> it kind of was. It's kind of great. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good example of just how, like, all over yeah. the place, Ms. Oh, yeah. Pac-Man it was, was. It was everywhere. Yeah, and it's a game that would have incredible staying power and would be considered worthy follow-up to Pac-Man in every way. And every time a cabinet got sold, GCC got their cut. Mm. For Midway, this wasn't going to be a problem for long, and that's mostly because they're going to lose the Pac-Man license well shortly after this. Right. Because after Ms. Pac-Man came out and was a huge success... Uh, in large part because Midway was more than happy to pull the trigger without consulting Namco. Mm-hmm. They got a little bold. Mm. And by bold, I meant they started releasing a bunch of Pac-Man spinoffs between 1982 and 1983. Uh... 
And you're probably asking, did he ask Namco about this? And the answer is absolutely not. So hmm. this uh this seems like you're kind of potentially running the license into the ground without consulting the people who own the license. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be Namco's view, as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, you want to hear about some of these Pac-Man spinoffs? I do. So these include Pac-Man Plus, which was advertised as the only legal Pac-Man conversion package. Itself kind of a lie, given Ms. Pac-Man exists. Yeah. Junior Pac-Man, also developed by GCC, oddly enough, where the Mm. maze scrolls horizontally. That's Mm. pretty much the only real difference. Hmm. Baby Pac-Man, which is actually really cool. It's a weird hybrid pinball video game where you have pinball in the lower half, and then when you knock the ball up to the top of the table, you play a game of Pac-Man. Huh. Okay. And the last and worst of them all, Professor Pac-Man, which mm. wasn't a Pac-Man game, but rather a visual puzzle game. It like literally was like memory match. Right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Now, Namco would get the rights to all of these, but as you can imagine, they were not pleased with e- without being either consulted or just having these, like, games just, like, kind of shotgunned out into the world. Right. Oh, thanks for the right to Professor Pac-Man. This isn't, like, just sitting dead in our catalog or anything. Oh, wow, we have the rights to this artwork image of Pac-Man wearing a university graduation cap. Great. Oof. Oof. Yeah, no, Namco was uh, not pleased by any of that. <laughs> and I, especially because, like, during this time, Namco's releasing their own Pac-Man games. Yeah. Like, Super Pac-Man comes out in December of 1982 in North America. And then in 83, Pac and Pal comes out. And so, like, yeah, they saw all this. And in 1984, they were like, no, we're good. We're terminating this deal. We're taking back full rights and ownership to Pac-Man. Right. Now, some legal nonsense that happened between Valley Midway and GCC over royalty rights that firmly established that GCC would have royalty rights in perpetuity uh, Mm -hmm. apparently did cause Valley Midway to actually continue to have the license to Ms. Pac-Man until 1987. Oh. Yeah, really weird. I I Mm -hmm. didn't quite get exactly why that happened, but it did. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even then, by then, it it already had fully uh, gone back to, to Namco by that point. And even then, they had stopped producing machines by 1983, so it really didn't affect anything too much. However, with the rights going back to Namco, uh, the royalties agreement also reverted back to Namco as well. Mm. So so I think it's worthwhile to be very clear about what this deal entailed. GCC would earn royalties on the Ms. Pac-Man game when sold, either as a coin-operated machine or via electronic distribution, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So... This only appears to apply to instances of the game Ms. Pac-Man, the arcade game, specifically, mm. the, and specifically the coin-operated Ms. Pac-Man. So theoretically, they wouldn't get royalties to say the 1996 Super Nintendo version of Ms. Pac-Man, because mm-hmm. uh, that's technically its own thing. It's not the arcade game, and that's something to keep in mind as we go forward because these this is going to get very murky very fast. Okay. So after 1987. Things went dormant with Ms. Pac-Man, at least the game is concerned. Uh, the character would get heavy use. Uh, it mm-hmm. would appear in such games such as Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures. <laughs> a game that is decidedly not a Pac-Man game. It is not. And spinoffs such as Ms. Pac-Man Maze Madness. Uh, the arcade game would get ported to home consoles such as the Super Nintendo and Genesis, and Namco and GCC would grow apart. Like GCC itself would like leave the gaming industry in 1984. Hmm. And while they would develop, like, the chip design for the Atari 7800, uh, they eventually would, like, focus on, like, Apple Macintosh peripherals and then would later actually change their name to GCC Technologies and would literally just exist to sell laser printers. Both the coolest and most boring home office product that ever existed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And eventually they would go out of business in 2015. Now... Once it did, the rights of Ms. Pac-Man, as far as the royalties were concerned, would transfer to the seven people that were the founding members of GCC and Steve Golson, who is the lead developer on Ms. Pac-Man. So, still is going to those rights effects are still are the rights are still going to be in effect after 2050. It's just now these seven individuals control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Namco itself would merge with Ban- Bandai in 2005 to form Bandai Namco which is, as of this recording, the third largest video game company in Japan. 
and a second largest toy company as of 2020. Mm. Now, just behind Lego. Huh. Did not realize Legos were that big in Japan, but I guess that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, I, I should point out, um, second largest toy company in the entire world. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So this story should be over. We've established who owns Ms. Pac-Man, and Namco has been happily using Ms. Pac-Man in plenty of commercial products since then. Mm -hmm. Except something is going to happen in 2002 that's going to upend everything. Mm -hmm. So the story goes is that Kevin Curran, uh, one of the founders of GCC, was driving down the road, and he stops in a rest stop along the Massachusetts Turnpike. He walks in and sees an officially licensed Namco arcade machine containing Ms. Pac-Man and another game, Galaga. So he immediately recognizes this as a new product because they obviously were not producing these combination machines back in 1983. Right. And given this machine exists, he kind of thinks about it and is like, huh, I haven't gotten any royalty checks on this. Right. So he and his fellow rights holders at GCC get in contact with Namco to ask for their payment. Now, at this point, Namco has had a ton of turnover. I mean, it's been 20 years at this point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the people who signed this original deal, they're gone. Uh-huh. And the people in charge just sort of assumed they had the full rights to the game, so they just threw it out there. Right. So GCC sends over the contracts that assert their rights to royalty payments, but Namco still refuses to pay out. And this goes on for four years until 2006. They finally go to arbitration. Uh, GCC demands arbitration. Uh, it's accepted. And the decision the arbitrator comes to is massive for GCC mm. and Ms. Pac-Man as a whole. There are two big decisions the arbitrator handed out. The first is a loss for GCC. So they rule that GCC is only due royalties on a cabinet that are coin-operated, as that's what the contracts back in the day stated these machines were. Mm -hmm. What this meant is that if Namco sold a machine that didn't have a coin slot, they didn't have to pay royalties. And uh, most arcade machines nowadays, they don't have those. So Right. Now... GCC tried to argue this was a general term for arcade games, but the arbitrator ultimately disagreed. Just like, this is what the line says, these are what these machines are. So they're like, okay, whatever. Uh, the second decision, however, was massive for them. In the original wording of the contracts, GCC was entitled royalties for electronic distribution of Ms. Pac-Man. And the arbitrator extrapolated from that to mean that GCC is entitled rights to Ms. Pac-Man, the arcade game, the arcade code is on a game that is broadcast from a source remote from the receiving device. What this means is that if you were to re-release the game on, say, like the Xbox or the Nintendo Switch or even the iPhone, GCZ gets a cut. And in 2008, uh, that's basically where things stood. There was like a small adjustment to the rights agreement, but mm -hmm. that's how it was going to be going forward. This is obviously massive because 2006 to 2008, this is when old games are being first, like, get the first big wave of these games being right. like, re released, right? You have like the, the Nintendo Virtual Console, mm -hmm. uh, you have iOS, like, starting to become a thing, and like a bunch of games getting shotgun onto there. It's mm -hmm. so, like, this is huge. Like, GCC is going to get a lot of money from this. So, what did this mean for Ms. Pac Man, though? Well, it meant that Namco had to get very clever with how they released these games, unless they wanted to just pay royalty payments out the butt. So, uh -huh. in some cases, like the iOS version, they just released it and lost profits due to royalties. They were like, whatever. Right. But that's not interesting, Alex. <laughs> What's interesting is how they handled their arcade game compilations. Oh, God. So, what they would do is one of two things. The first and least interesting and sadly most used was that in arcades, they would like release a compilation of like Pac-Man games or like, you know, Namco arcade games. Mm -hmm. And Ms. Pac-Man would be included on those because these weren't coin operated machines. Right. Right. But then when that particular package would be brought to like home consoles, they would just excise Ms. Pac-Man out from it. Uh... But my favorite, though, my favorite one that they did involved the console-exclusive re-release of Pac-Man games called Pac-Man Museum. Uh, this was released in 2014 right. for Xbox 360, PS3, and Windows. Uh -huh. And what's interesting about it is not that Ms. Pac-Man was on that, but more specifically, it wasn't included as part of the release. Mm. But rather, it was day one downloadable content that was free. <laughs> How does that circumvent the agreement? 
Well, because it's not on the original product that was sold, right? But it, it's that's the most electronically distributed. But the, what they're distributing is a free game. If oh you, right. Yeah, it's free it's DLC. Free. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that. Now, oh. Right. Oh, it's so scummy. It's great. That's I, so slimy. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> oh my god. It should be noted this didn't last forever, and I think like a few months after it, it did become paid DLC, but it was like five bucks. Uh huh. In order to account for that um that royalty agreement. Oh god. But yeah, that's that's how they got away with that initially. So it should come as no surprise that GCC members and now ba- uh, Bandai Namco weren't exactly on the best of terms. Right. And this became especially apparent when in 2019. Kevin Curran received a picture of a mini arcade cabinet of Ms. Pac-Man. He's like, oh, they're making these little mini arcades with Ms. Pac-Man on there. It most likely contains our code. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't told about it. Mm. So he's upset. And thinking right. this is an official product that he most certainly did not receive royalties for, he got in contact with uh, Bandai Namco to figure out what happened. And the response he got was the business equivalent of a blank stare and uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> mm. Because it turns out this product wasn't authorized. And Uh-oh. It, and it never would have been. <laughs> Uh-oh. Especially since it came from a company that Bandai Namco had a ton of problems with. At Games. Oh, boy. Alex, are you familiar with At Games? I don't think so. Oh, boy. Then this is exciting. Let me tell you all about them. For those of you at home, or Alex, I guess in this case, who aren't familiar with them, at Games has something of a reputation. And I mean reputation in air quotes. Like, this is an incredibly shady company reputation. Dude, is this... Does this company have anything to do with the, um... The mini Genesis console that came out a few years ago? Oh, yeah. In the sense of, uh, they were thrown off the project? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I've heard of these people. Oh, yes. <laughs> so they were founded in 2001, and they're based in Los Angeles as At Games Cloud Holdings Limited, uh, a name that you just know that this is maybe... Uh... Yeah, yeah, just... Mm. Yeah, I, I'm 90% certain that's a shell company, and the real company is based in China. Probably, uh, yeah. Because they have a bigger sense. Chinese presence on their website, for instance, mm-hmm. and more offices in China. But, mm. but regardless, this is a company that specializes in licensed all-in-one game consoles. Now, if you've ever been to a mall in the past 15 years, you've undoubtedly seen one of these, like in those like really depressing like little kiosks that are in the middle of the mall. Right, has... like the Atari 15-in-1 Yeah, yeah. Like these, yeah, they sell you like a controller. It's like a cheap plastic controller or like right. a box. You hook it directly up to the TV. Yeah, and... yeah. Okay, I've seen these. Yeah, yeah. They look terrible. They, are, they look terrible, and the emulation quality, the, the replica, replicated game quality on these is very poor, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Ad Games in particular had a close relationship with Sega, and they released a ton of old Genesis games this way. Uh, the right. Sega Flashback consoles, what they were called. Uh, they also right. did Atari Flashback consoles, and uh, as we'll get into, they also had a relationship with Bandai Namco as well. Uh, now, these had a bad rap in the video game preservation scene because, once again, quality of these games was very poor. They were right. not accurate to how they originally played. You, usually, they were nowhere close. Mm-hmm. usually they ran slower had weird bugs and stuff you just wouldn't normally see and this by itself wouldn't be damning but good news they're shady as well yay for example let's go back to bandai namco they wanted to release an arcade compilation this way and got at games to do the work mm-hmm. and now the product that was proposed to them was a controller that would hook up to the tv that would play the arcade versions of these games mm-hmm. however when it came out Instead, it used the inferior Nintendo Entertainment System version of these games. Ooh. The product Namco was showed was it running arcade games. Mm-hmm. They were not informed of this switch. Like, the controversy over this was really big. Reviewers, like, got out and were like, hey, listen, we, we feel that we had to do a public good to tell you to not buy this. It's being misrepresented. It's... Right. Yeah, and needless to say, there were... Bandai Namco was less than pleased with that games, and they severed ties with them completely. They're like, you will, no, never. Yeah, yeah, no more of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least for a little while. 
So Namco hears about this arcade cabinet they made and approaches At Games to find out what's up. Uh-huh. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yep. Hey, guys. Because, like, it looks like this is being sold or is being, dist- like, given to reviewers and whatnot. Like, uh-huh. this is a pretty complete-looking product. So At Games tells them, well, no, it's not being sold. But since we have you on the phone, we want to license Ms. Pac-Man from you in order to sell this product. <laughs> What 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 do they mean it's not being sold? Yeah, it hasn't been put into market yet, but you know, if we get this license, we definitely will, so how about we cut a deal? Yeah. Yeah, balls on them. Uh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh <laughs> this was their gambit, huh? This was their gambit. Don't worry though, they have another ace up their sleeve, because when Bandai Namco says no, we're not going to do this, uh-huh. They're like, well, why not? So Bandai says their official reason is that the rights are too complicated. This would be a three-way agreement. We have the separate royalty agreement with GCC. It just would not work. Mm-hmm. Well, At Games then counters with the surprise. They bought the royalty rights for the remaining members of the GCC, so there should be no problem getting a deal done. Ah. Yep, turns out that At Games went basically behind Bandai Namco's back got in contact with the GCC members and were like, hey, how about we just acquire the rights from you? We'll just give you a lump sum and uh-huh. we'll control these royalty rights from now on. And they went, sure, why not? Uh-huh. This sends Bandai Namco up a wall because you see, they had been secretly negotiating with the GCC members over the past few years to buy all those rights back. Uh... And like, not just like the Ms. Pac-Man rights, but like the Junior Pac-Man rights as well, and Baby mm-hmm. Pac and all that. Right. And now a shady company that they're on very bad terms with has these rights, and they are understandably very upset. Mm-hmm. So they immediately sue them, stating that At Games intentionally interfered with negotiations to shore up a tangled rights issue. They're like, you just interfered with this. You submarine a deal. How dare you? Right. Now, according to this Polygon article I found, this might have some merit, as when Kevin Curran heard about this product from At Games, Mm-hmm. Uh, he, like him and the other GCC members, terminated negotiations between them and Bandai Namco because mm-hmm. it seemed like they in- were intentionally violating their rights. Like, right. what are you doing? Right. So they're like, okay, yeah, no, there's, there's a good legal argument to be made here. Now, Ad Games' response to all of this is that they just seem kind of pleased by the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> the CEO of Ad Games, uh, Ping Kang Shu. Uh, released a statement saying, as part of our ongoing initiative to be caretakers of important cultural touchstones. Oh, boy. Right? We are privileged to gain these valuable rights pertaining to the iconic Ms. Pac-Man arcade game. This, once again, from the same company that was removed in 2019 from the development of the Sega Genesis Mini after a huge uh-huh. outcry from Sega fans over the quality of their products. Yeah. No, because I remember Sega announced that Genesis Mini, uh, like, half a year after the nes mini came out and everyone's mm-hmm. response was is that games working on it mm-hmm. okay this is going to be garbage yep and then they're like no 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 we're gonna t- we're gonna get somebody else <laughs> oh but it gets better alex uh-huh at the same time the statement was being released they were being sued by walgreens ah <laughs> uh, yeah that makes sense yeah they were being sued by walgreens for failing to pay back unsold inventory despite a previous agreement to do so and i was mm. like I think like $2.4 million, just like that. It was some amount of money that was, you know, not huge in a corporate sense, but still significant right. enough. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a hell of a statement they gave. <laughs> An attorney representing Ad Games at this point followed up as well, calling this lawsuit, quote, another transparent effort to punish Ad Games for entering into its August 29 agreement with the GCC individuals to solely Ad Games' reputation Editor's note, don't need help with that. Uh-huh. Uh, t- to disrupt at games business relationships and to artificially manufacture leverage in the ongoing negotiations between the parties. End quote. They further followed up with, quote, to wit, NBEA, that is Namkai Bando Entertainment America, is so irritated by the fact that at games has entered into a contract with the GCC individuals an arrangement BNEA hoped to exploit for its own benefit through deceit and bad faith, which, what? Uh-huh. That it ordered its lawyers to attack at games by any means possible. Okay. This potentially has big ramifications, right? right. Like, Ms. Pac-Man hasn't seen a whole lot of re-releases because 
you know, Bandai Namco doesn't want to pay out those royalty rights. Right. Uh, other than the iOS re-release in 2012 and, you know, weird DLC in 2014, Ms. Pac-Man actually hasn't been re-released. In fact, the character itself really hasn't been used since 2006. Right. Although that is more probably a coincidence than anything else. Mm-hmm. She actually got replaced with other, um, like, female Pac-Man characters. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Uh, in more of a, like a Mickey and Minnie Mouse sort of situation where they just didn't want Pac-Man to be married anymore. Right. So, and like, obviously, like, they want to re-release this game. Like, it might not be like too big outside North America, but they are still making a significant amount of money off of this. And so the stage is set. A big lawsuit has been filed. One, once again, could have huge ramifications. Will they finally, mm-hmm. will Bandai Namco finally get the right, entire rights, royalties and all? Will, would at games win and possibly prevent Ms. Pac-Man from ever seeing the light of day ever again? Or would they come to a mutually beneficial agreement? Something mm-hmm. that skirts the lines particularly well. Alex, mm-hmm. unfortunately, this is where our story ends, and rather unceremoniously. Mm. Because you see, on October 27th, 2020, a U.S. district du- judge dismissed the case with his reasoning being that all parties involved had resolved the case of their own accord. They basically made a settlement out of court. Ah. Which, hey, okay. good news. That means we now know who owns the royalty rights. Except the settlement was never made public. Mm. We don't know who owns the royalty rights to Ms. Pac-Man. And there's a good chance we never will. Well, I think there's a pretty easy way to tell, which is... See if Miss Pac-Man ever gets a re-release. You know, it's funny that you mention that because we can actually mm-hmm. take a few guesses from a new product that's going to be coming onto the market in May on May twenty second, twenty twenty two. Pac-Man Museum Plus will be released for the Nintendo Switch, PS four, Xbox One, and Windows, and will mm. contain games such as Pack and Pal, Pack Attack, and Pack and Time. But you know what game's not going to be on there? Miss Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man. Mm. I had a guess. Ad Games may have won that argument. Alex, how are you feeling? You know, people throw a lot of shade at Nintendo for basically being the Disney of video games. Mm-hmm. But every time they want to do some sort of compilation like the NES or the Super NES Mini, they just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's there. And it's got all the things you want. Yep. Every time someone like Sony or Namco or Capcom tries to do it, it is just this bitter, ugly struggle to get the rights to anything they want. And you end up with crap like, oh, the PlayStation Mini with such hits as... I don't even remember what's on there, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure that Metal Gear Solid isn't. Metal Gear Solid is on there, yes. Okay, it, it is. I don't think Symphony of the Night is on there. Yeah, it isn't on there. And they're like, they use like the weird like European ROMs, so they like yeah. run at the wrong speed and, it's and everything. The director's cut of Resident Evil that's vastly inferior. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like this is why rights management is really important. It is, yeah. Like or like another like really good example of like when um. Capcom re-released their beat 'em up Aliens versus Predator, but I think like it was only like a limited time on like digital stores, mm-hmm. and the only way to get it physically was if you bought the really stupid arcade stick that was shaped like their logo. <laughs> the thing is so terrible. It's so it's terrible. A two, it's a two-player controller that's the size of one person. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. It. Nobody ever thought about this in the 80s or 90s. Nobody thought yep. about these potential rights issues when, like, they signed these weird deals. Although, I guess, for Napco's credit, like, they didn't make the initial deal. Like, they signed right. off on it, like, I think, like, a week after Midway did, but they weren't the ones who, like, initially did that. So, they yeah, kind of got they, screwed on this a bit. Yeah, they just ended up holding the bag of one of Midway's very, very many terrible deals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, and it really is too bad. Like, you could still, I, I'm pretty sure you could still buy Ms. Pac-Man on the iOS store. So, like, if you mm. wanted to play it, you can. You right. got a 64-bit update, if I remember correctly. But, like, yeah, if you wanted to play that any other way, mm-hmm. I think technically Pac-Man 2, the new adventures came out 
for the Wii Virtual Console. Well, actually, you can't buy it from there anymore. Yeah, but. no, that's gone. I was about to say, this tech, technically, there's a version of Ms. Pac-Man on there, but mm. yeah, it's like it's actually it's one of the most popular games of all time is uh, surprisingly difficult to play in an easy manner, and yeah, that's that's sad. It's a sad thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's there's absolutely the, technically at games does have a Namco product that is out right now, the uh, Namco Arcade Blast. I believe mm. uh, that it's it's a terrible plug and play thing, right? Uh, but yeah, once again, Miss Pac Man's all on there. It was released in t- 2019 before all this went down, right? But um, yeah, they're obviously Namco's not going to greenlit anything that uh, that they're going to do involving Miss Pac Man, right? Uh, if any anything, if, just in general, really. Yeah, no. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it's too bad. It's too bad. It's it's a story that has a bit of a sad ending in a way. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other final th- thoughts for us, Alex? I don't think so. Mm. Nah, I think that's fair. But I think that is going to do it for us today. Alex, I appreciate you joining us on this uh, fun journey down video game history. Of course. And I hope everyone else enjoyed it too. And in fact, if you enjoy episodes like this, you should go to ftp.podbean.com and listen to other episodes of Fallen Through Plot Holes or look up Fallen Through Plot Holes or FTP on your podcast service of choice. Drop us a review on on Apple Podcasts as well. It really does help out uh, as far as getting this surface to other people, letting people see and listen to something that they might enjoy. And of course, annoy your friends about us. You know, they might appreciate it, or they might not. You never know. <laughs> you won't know until you ask. But with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you uh, all have a good day. Take care, everybody. Take care.